Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. We'll come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazar. And we have this week two teams coming off of gargantuan wins against future SEC sessionists, and also two teams that can't hate each other. I can't hate Texas Tech. Neither can I. They're 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 a very likable uh, team and fan base. They're a kindred spirit. Yeah, I think is the best way to put it. Yeah, I think them and Okie State are like the two Big Twelve schools that I would consider friends. I I agree. Like the those are the two that I I think I like the most. I like TCU a decent amount as well. Um, they've been they were annoying me for a bit with their uh, Texas Tech slander, but yeah. it seems to have died down. I think that's uh, hopefully stopped. But I know, I've always bonded with TCU. A lot of it was because I always liked Gary Patterson being a uh, uh, Kansas guy. Yeah. Uh, so, and they're purple, so it doesn't hurt. But yeah, this this week's we'll call it a friendly competition is between your Kansas State Wildcats and the Texas Tech Red Raiders. And before we get into what they are now, let's take a look back at what they were in 2021, starting of course with their offensive statistics. Yep. So back in 2021, they went seven and six with a three and six conference record. They got that last win in the Liberty Bowl over Mississippi who? State. Mississippi, Mississippi State. State. I knew it was either Mississippi State or Arkansas, but Arkansas did better than that. Mm-hmm. They uh, had 2,068 rush yards on the season, who had a clip of 4.7 yards per rush. 30 rushing touchdowns, 3,344 passing yards on the year, 8.6 yards per attempt, 63.2% uh, completion uh, through the air, 18 touchdowns to 11 picks, uh, 42.7% on third down. That was good for 41st in the country. And then the red zone offensively, they were really efficient, 70% uh, touchdown rate, and they scored 92% of the time they were in the red zone. They allowed 24 sacks. They averaged 30.31 points per game for a total of 394 points over the course of the season. So pretty solid numbers there. The touchdown to interception ratio is probably a little concerning if you're a Texas Tech fan. Very, honestly. But, yeah, um, I mean, it's solid numbers for the most part. Yeah, and there are Texas Tech schools, so, you know, no one should be surprised that the passing numbers are significantly higher. Yeah. But in terms of their defense, they gave up 30.15 points per game last year, a total of 392, 3,487 passing yards against 29 passing touchdowns, and then strangely, 1,786 rushing yards and 18 rushing touchdowns, giving up third downs or letting them convert on offense 44.7% of the time, good for 116th in the country. And then in terms of red zone scoring percentage, they gave up touchdowns on 66% of drives and scores on 88%, 102nd in the nation last year. They had an even amount of interceptions and fumbles, both with 10, 20 sacks, and then a minus five turnover differential. Now, the thing that sticks out to me here is they gave up nearly, if not absolutely, double the amount of passing yards that they gave up in rushing, which is... It's interesting, given what I, I've noted for the defense of this year, but that's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Who are they bringing back, or who are they adding this year, Connor? Yeah, so notable returners 
Um, Tyler Shuck and Donovan Smith at quarterback. Uh, they've been going back and forth. Tyler Shuck, I believe, is injured right now. Uh, so Donovan Smith is currently the starting QB as things stand. Um, I don't believe Shuck will be healthy for the K State game or no. maybe season ending. I'm it was sure. season ending. Yeah. So tough scene for Tyler Shuck. Uh, because I believe he had a season ending injury last year as well. I that or he got benched. Uh, Taj Brooks, their leading rusher is back. Uh, Tyree Wilson at linebacker. He is their sack leader. He's back as well. Uh, Rashad Williams at corner. He was second in their passes defended department. Dadrian Taylor Demerson at defensive back. He was their interception leader. And they added Baylor Cup. That is not a real person. He's a transfer tight end from <laughs> um, Texas a It'd be really funny if he was from Baylor. That's a, that's a Madden generated player, but no, he's yeah. real. Lincoln Abraham, uh, uh, Lincoln Abraham. I forget what position he played, but um, and yeah, they got a new uh, coaching staff as well. Uh, new head coach Joey McGuire uh, was um, killing it on the uh, recruiting circuit uh, this past uh, recruiting cycle. They were briefly number one in the country. A lot of that was just because they filled their class early. But regardless, it's still an impressive class, even if it's not the number one class in the country. Yeah, and then they got. New defensive coordinator Tim DeReuter from Oregon. And then they added Zach Kitley, uh, offensive coordinator of Western Kentucky. Yeah. And uh, if that sounds vaguely familiar, it should, because he was the offensive coordinator when Bailey Zappi set the NCAA passing record for a season. So, uh, spoilers, he runs the same offense. But in terms of what they're losing from last year, they are losing Henry Columbia, who was their quarterback and leading passer. He ended up transferring to Marshall. I'm not sure if he won the starting job there. Uh, he may have. I don't remember. And I, the- I seem to not to interrupt, uh, but on yeah. Henry Columbia, I I could I seem to remember him having like a touchdown late in the game when Marshall beat Notre Dame. So he at least has been playing. Yeah, yeah, probably. And then Eric Azukama was their leading wide receiver, and he was drafted to the Dolphins. Colin Schooner, he was their leading tackler. He graduated, and then their starting center, Dawson Dean, was drafted by the Browns. Demarcus Fields, their leader in passes defense and cornerback, was a UDFA to the Saints. And then finally, their head coach, Matt Wells, was fired last year. So going into what they've done for this year, I'll cover the schedule. They are a 3 and one team with a 1-0 conference record. Their first game was up against Murray State, which, um, yeah, that didn't end well for Murray State. It was 63-10. to Next, they paid Houston, who was 1-0 when they played. They beat them 33-30. to Then they lost to, at the time, 2-0 NC State, 27-14. And then last week, they beat the then 2-1 and ranked number 22nd in the country, Texas Longhorns. They beat them on a last-second field goal, 37-34, and then got fined $50,000, which I have a feeling the athletic department was just fine with that. No pun intended. Yeah, they're building like a gazillion dollar football renovation, so 50K. Now they'll they'll find somebody in West Texas to front the money for it, which it's all West Texas anyways, so it, it hardly matters. Uh, they've had an interesting schedule. Houston, I don't think, is actually good. Um, and that's not just because KU beat them. It's because they 
did not play well against UTSA or Rice and then blew it against Tech. So I don't think Houston's going to end up having a good year. Um, not that they're like an awful team, but I just think that they're on a downward trajectory at this point. Yeah. We're going to play Tulane here pretty soon, so we'll see. But, <laughs> uh, beating Texas, that's obviously a huge win because Texas is nothing if not talented. NC State's a bit of an enigma. Uh, they're ranked really highly, but they, they've they been kind of all over the place, I mm-hmm. feel like. Um, Murray State's Murray State. So interesting schedule, but I... I don't really think there's enough that we can conclusively draw from any of those opponents other than Texas is an impressive win. Yeah, I agree. But in terms of their 2022 statistics, we already gone over their record. They're a 3-1 team going into this same record as us. And they have 453 rushing yards at a clip of 3.2 per attempt, 1,452 passing yards at 7.5 per attempt, 11 passing touchdowns to 7 interceptions, eight rushing touchdowns, a offensive third down conversion rate of one third exactly, 33.3 repeating percent, and then a defensive third down percentage of 30.5%. They're averaging 36.8 points per game, 147 points for 88 against, a minus three turnover differential, nine sacks, and then on defense, they're giving up red zone touchdowns 33.3% of the time and 83.3% giving up scoring. And then on offense, they're scoring a touchdown 62.5% of the time and then scoring in general 81.2% of the time. Is there anything there that particularly strikes you? Um, that rushing yards per attempt is pretty low. Um, 3.2, that's not really good. Um, granted, a lot of that is Donovan Smith has 48 rushes for 70 yards. So he's averaging 1.5. But even then, they're uh, starting running backs because it really is starting running backs, plural. Yeah. Uh, Taj Brooks has 40 carries. Sarada Thompson has 38. And I swear, Sarada Thompson has been at Tech longer than Skyler Thompson was at K-State. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they're both averaging 4.3 to 4.4. So that's probably a bit more accurate. Than the 3.2 the 3.2 is what it is like that's the correct stat but a lot of that is donovan smith really dragging uh that statistic down a little bit i'd imagine taking a lot of sacks probably and then yeah the passing guards are like through the roof uh uh go figure i guess they're playing into the tech stereotype which i'm trying i i want them to do what they want to do but if they're going to keep passing the ball they're just going to continue to get the tech stereotype i guess but uh, and thrown a lot of picks, which some of that is just high volume. So not not a ton to draw from there. But I don't know. Interesting stats for a three and one team that just be Texas. Also, yeah. Now we can start going into the scouting report for the team. Connor, you have the first notes and just marked offensively and their personnel. Yeah. So on offense, as we just kind of alluded to. This is one of the Texas Tech teams of all time and that they really do just kind of fit that mold of it's kind of like whenever commentators don't know what to say about the Big 12 and they're just like, oh, yeah, it's a like they hate defense in that league um, and like they love to pass the ball a lot. I mean, that's just kind of Texas Tech this year. They love throwing the ball. They run air raid. Um, not the greatest running team. I mean, it's something that they could do but it's really just not their forte. Um, so they, they do play into that stereotype. Um, they aren't like Oklahoma and their spread where they're going to use every single inch of the field. And even though they do love passing the ball a lot, 
Um, so they're like a lot of old Texas tech teams. They are different in that. Like they kind of follow the general trend in college football. Uh, that's kind of been moving away from the frenetic pace that Chip Kelly brought to the game. Uh, they, they kind of, they move at a less NASCAR pace, I suppose, as Ace likes to say, but, um, when we get into their personnel, a lot of their snaps are coming from 11 personnel, which that tracks for the type of offense they want to run. They run some 10 as well. They very occasionally go into 12 personnel where they have both tight ends at wing. Um, and then they will occasionally go empty um, just because, well, they're, they like pass. So they're, they're going to go empty a lot. Tells them what the defense is going to do. Uh, so a lot of those teams are going to go empty. Even K-State goes empty. So, yeah. Yeah, but we tend to go empty in a little bit different way. But, you know, it. They it's just – it's a personnel thing. They're, they're a spread team. They're an air raid team. If you watched Western Kentucky last year, which I did like twice, yeah, it's, it's the same offense because it's the same offensive coordinator. But that leads us into their play calling. Their current run pass split is quite literally 40-60. I think technically it's like 60.3 or something like that for passing. It's 40-60. And the majority of what their, their game plan is, is when they're not behind the sticks, what they want to do is they want to hit you with quick spot routes. They want to hit you with speed outs under soft zone coverage because they, the way that this offense operates is they forego having a really great running game and instead substitute it with having a bunch of short routes, not even necessarily screens, which we'll talk about in a second, but having those, you know, five yard routes where you can still keep the sticks moving and the goal is still the same as having a running game. It's to have your players cheat up. It's to try and get you in a single high safety look. It's to try and get you to fall asleep and have your flat defenders stand flat rather than following and trailing a little bit backwards. That being said, the one note, the one thing I notice most about them is when they're running their more traditional offense. They really love speed outs against soft zone coverage, which, um, you know, if they have... I, I could honestly see Klanderman taking advantage of this by having Echo sit in what he thinks is a soft zone on the outside and then just bum rushing forward to finally get a pick. But yeah. it has to happen. It has so, to happen eventually, right? I, w- I will be shocked and also very sad if Echo goes like three full seasons of starting at corner and the Big 12 and does not get a single pick. Granted, he should have had one in like 2020 against TCU, but it was uh, nullified due to a penalty. And also he has to be thrown out more. So, yeah, because no one throws to him. But in the running game, they have there's this one play in particular where they both pull the guard and tackle from the opposite side. And I also saw them do this the opposite direction of a jet sweep, which I will never understand. Because you think you want more blockers going to that side. There, there's there's running a counter and then there's removing blockers. And I'm not sure that that I'm not sure if that's right. Anyway, I, <laughs> they a lot of the times they just kind of seem to be getting too cute with it. That's honestly their biggest problem with me is that they they're getting they're getting really cute with it. Like they their inside running game is isn't really existent because of how their runs go to the outside and how they scheme up their running game and how 
oh, they want to get clever with it. They don't want to run just like a duo or they don't want to run like an inside zone. That being said, they do have a really cool like a zone read concept where they tackle, they pull the tackle and then the end man that is unblocked. He's unblocked anyway, but you know, if he pulls it, he's just going to go block a linebacker in the a gap. And if he's going for it, he just runs around and acts as a pulling blocker. It's a cool concept. It's called dart. I really like it actually. But on this episode of ACE nerds out about running schematics, they, (laughs) They run play action on 22.9% of dropbacks, screens on 12.8, and motion is a part of their game plan, mostly as a coverage indicator or to set up jet. A lot of times they run what's called a drive concept where they have, they motion someone into like a stack alignment, have him run a little drag and then run like a, a dig or like an in route from the top receiver of it. But yeah, that's a lot of talking that I just did. Connor, you can take quarterbacks and the first running back. Yeah. So quarterback right now is Donovan Smith. Uh, We saw him, I believe he played last year um, against us. Um, He did 65 point or this so far this year, he's got 65.7% completion percentage, uh, 1,116 yards to the air, then a nine to five touchdown interception ratio, getting that good work-life balance with his touchdown INT ratio. Uh, then his PFF grade right now is a 71.4, 71.9 in the passing game, 61.2 in the running game, which kind of tracks uh, with um, his really bad average there. Um, he did enter the season as not the starter, and Tyler Shuck did get hurt, I believe, in the first game. Um, and then his progressions are a little rough right now. He makes one or two reads. Um, he does force passes and just kind of hopes that uh, as receivers come down with it. Uh, and sometimes, you know, he's a one read and check down or uh, maybe take off kind of QB, um, which, I mean, at least some of, some of that is understandable because Donovan Smith is very young. I believe he's a true sophomore. Um, and because I seem to remember him being a true freshman last year when he was playing. Uh, but, and I also get putting faith in his receivers because he's probably used to throwing to Eric Azukanma. Uh, who made the Dolphins roster. So, yeah. you know, totally fair, honestly. But uh, yeah, and this throwing motion, it's pretty quick and compact, but it can be too quick sometimes. He definitely short arms his throws um, on occasion, uh, which can throw off, pun intended, uh, some of his mechanics. Um, his arm strength is pretty solid. Um, he's solid on the move as well. Um, he'll take the shorter throws and the dink and dunk stuff. Uh, if you're going to leave it available, uh, he he will gladly take that. His deep ball accuracy is pretty hit and miss, but it's not because he can't get it there. It, a lot of it's just a young QB thing. Uh, and also just because he's letting his feet die on longer developing plays. Um, and he isn't the biggest threat in terms of mobility, just not the... Uh, best instincts in the run game maybe is the best way to put it um and he's not the most mobile quarterback of all time but he is somebody uh where if you do forget about him he will make you pay um he's definitely he's not dylan gabriel um but he uh is probably the third biggest scrambling threat that we have faced thus far he he's in he's in the michael pratt camp of uh 
quarterbacks. Um, and he's a little paranoid in the pocket, um, uh, especially if he says the pileup isn't in front of him. So, Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about the pileup a little bit later. But, yeah, a lot of – a lot of Donovan Smith's issues can be – he's not a bad quarterback, not at all, actually. He's actually quite good for a Big 12 quarterback. And a lot of the things like, oh, he takes the short stuff, that's due to coaching. Yeah, he's he's a good – he's a good, solid Big 12 quarterback who's – you know, all of his issues are pretty much due to him being, you know, on the younger end. Not getting through all his reads, he's 19. Letting his feet die, he's 19. He's <laughs> – yeah, or maybe twenty, either or. But he's a young quarterback, so he he's gonna play like a young quarterback. Basically, is what's going on. Like I, I mean, like nobody's gonna expect a true sophomore uh, to come in and just like dominate. At least you shouldn't. That, that's kind of an unrealistic expectation, especially when they're not the expected starter. So, yeah. But anyway, didn't mean to interrupt you. You have Taj Brooks. No, no worries. Um, so Taj Brooks. Um, right now he's got thirty nine carries on the year. For 168 yards and four touchdowns, a 73.2 PFF grade, a little lower uh, in the passing game, 70.8 there, but then 77.4 in the run game. He's a nice acceleration based back. Uh, His cuts are fine. They're not incredible, though. He doesn't really get low enough uh, for that. Um, He's a little stronger uh, than Sir Roderick Thompson is. Uh, he does run pretty solid routes out of the backfield, um, and he's got uh, some nice quick hands uh, to add to his receiving ability all around. A pretty solid player, just a different type of player from uh, Sir Roderick Thompson, who is one of the elder statesmen in the entire Big 12 at this point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Sir Roderick Thompson is, has been around, around the block a little bit. He has, but for this year, he has 38 carries for 168 yards so the exact same amount of yardage but one less carry but also three less touchdowns three fewer i know that there are some people who would care about the grammar there he only has one touchdown on the year a 70.3 pff grade 62.8 in the passing game 73.4 in the running game and honestly his best trade is probably his vision because he's he's been around long enough to know that he can't do it all by himself so he's willing to kind of sit behind his lineman and wait for their leverage to establish itself. So that way he can go to the, well, whichever side is advantageous to him. That's a, a rare thing that DJ Giddens somehow is the one running back who's doing it on this roster. And I love Deuce, but DJ has honestly shown a little bit more in that area. That's neither here nor there. Yeah. Uh, one more note on Taj Brooks. Um, kind of an underrated uh, pass blocker. Because I've been thinking about this a lot when I watch running backs the last few weeks, because like Deuce has recently revealed himself to be like the greatest pass blocking running back in like the history, history of college football. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm watching like uh Tech and Texas in the background right now. And I just watched the Rod or not sorry, Taj Brooks have like two excellent blitz pickups in a row. So yeah. I feel it's it's worth mentioning, I suppose. Yeah, no, he is a he is a good pass blocking back. He's like he's a true three down back. Both of these guys are. I mean, Taj Brooks is probably the better. He's probably the better blocker. I'd I'd give the edge in terms of open field ability to Sir Roderick Thompson just because of his speed and how twitchy he is and how he how good he is in the open field. But you know, they're both good backs. 
which I already kind of just said that, but he's so Roderick Thompson's a very good receiving back. And the first thing he does whenever he tries to break a tackle is a spin move. And it has worked so many times. And it's so quick that you, you begin to understand why, because he can just kind of take those blows and make them and make them just glance off of them pretty much. And he's not someone who lets himself get hit that hard which it probably is why he's been so durable and stuck around the big 12 for so long. But I'll take the, I'll take the first two receivers and then you can have the third and the tight end. So the first receiver is number nine, Durand Bradley, and he has what 16 catches for 198 yards and two touchdowns this year, a 16 and a half PFF grade 60.8 in the passing game. He's probably their best contested catch guy, and I'm not sure that it's particularly close. And a lot of it has to do with his ability to track because he's if the ball is in the air and it's even remotely near him, he has eyes on it and he's willing to match his hands to it. The biggest downside to him as a as a true contested catch guy is where he's not Quentin Johnston, but there's only one of those in the Big 12 and his name is Quentin Johnston for TCU. So the the main thing he needs to work on on that is just working on the timing of his jump. He will miss time his jumps. He will jump early. Or there was even one time I saw him jump late. But early is really his problem. And he doesn't work back towards the ball as much as you would like for like a more possession contested catch guy. He truly is that guy that, you know, he's he's the goal line fade guy. That's pretty much what he does he's goal line fade back shoulder and just work through contact kind of guy and because of that he's a little slow out of his breaks because route running isn't really his game he just doesn't separate that well because well in the college game you can kind of get away with that because when you're bigger and stronger and whoever you're going against what are they going to do they're going to cry about it there's nothing they can do about it And then next up is actually their leading receiver, who is Miles Price, 25 catches for 265 yards and two touchdowns, a 64.3 PFF grade, 65.1 in the passing game. He's reliable, if a little bit unremarkable and a little bit boring, honestly. He's solid in just about all of his aspects. He has solid hands, routes, run, yeah, ugh, yards after catch ability. His, his best trait is honestly his ability to get himself open in zone coverages. If the defense is playing zone, there's like a 95% chance that Miles Price is just sitting down somewhere wide open. And that's just, that's part of, that's his best game. And then he can use his yak ability to make at least one person miss after he catches it. And he's good for one spectacular play game and then just goes back to being solid. He's someone that I could definitely see on an NFL roster just as a solid like UDFA pickup sticks around the league for a little while just because he does everything at a pretty all right level and doesn't have any big weaknesses, but he doesn't have any remarkable strengths either. But Connor, you have the third receiver and then, of course, their tight end. Yeah, so the last receiver is number 20, Nehemiah Martinez. Uh, He's got 14 receptions for 179 yards and one touchdown, 71.9 PFF grade, 71.2 in the passing game. He's not great 
at getting defensive backs hands off him to begin his routes. So the defensive back is normally the one that is determining uh, how the rep goes. Uh, with that being said, he honestly on the field looks more like a running back than a wide receiver. He is absolutely built Dude for is the built. wide receiver. Dude like, is thick for a receiver. <laughs> it, it it really is. It, it, he's it, it's very funny, and because uh, I like going through the highlights for the first time, uh, you you're like, why is this running back always like playing like split out? Turns out he's actually just a wide receiver and. Maybe he started as a running back or something, but no, yeah, he's a fairly solid. He looks thicker uh, than a tight end. <laughs> yeah, he their tight end's a little slight, so. But yeah, uh, moving on to the tight end. Speaking of uh, Mason Tharp, number eighty, uh, he has five catches for sixty yards and a touchdown on the year. So production, uh, nothing incredible. Uh, 65.6 PFF grade, 66.9 passing grade, and a 66.2 run blocking grade. Um, he um, is not great at truly getting squared up to to uh, to block. Um, it's normally his job to get linebackers. Uh, so uh, he it is less important that he uh, really get out and get square up and head on. Uh, but then when you're trying to tackle him, that is actually the best strategy is to get up head on head up on him. Um, however, if you go too low, he will dodge around you. Uh, he's deceptively quick. Um, and then he plays mostly in a wing alignment. So uh, that makes his sift blocks uh, a little bit easier uh, to get through. Yeah. He's just a solid tight end. He's not a great blocker. He's a fine receiver. He's there a good are, tight end. There's a lot of those, I feel like, this year in the uh, uh, in the Big 12. He did have a really nice grab against Texas, to be fair. Uh, it was kind of like a spinning grab uh, near the goal line uh, that went down at the one. So he has at least some receiving ability. Um, he's not generally used a ton, um, but he, he can be a threat uh, in the passing game. Yeah, seems so strange because last year we had a, like a wealth of really great tight ends, and now it just kind of seems like it's somewhat barren in the Big Twelve. Yeah, it's def- definitely a down year for tight ends in the Big Twelve, uh, for sure. Yeah. Now we can talk about my favorite unit to talk about every single week, and that is the offensive line. Now they've given up 13 sacks on the year, and just a general note about their protection. Their entire goal seems to be to push absolutely everyone they can to the inside. They really want to create a like an 85 pile like car pile up right in the middle of the line, which it when it doesn't work, it doesn't work. If you get someone screaming off the edge, they're going to miss him. If you send someone on a wide blitz, they're going to miss him. But when it does work for the three man surfaces, it is very funny. Like, it is extremely funny because this happened a lot against NC State because they run like a true 335 or they don't even really have the hybrid guy. Their entire strategy was like, all right, we're going to push them all into the nose tackle. And it's really funny just watching all of them start tripping over themselves. <laughs> <laughs> but outside of how they want to pass block, 
We can cover the left side of the line and their center. Connor has you for the right side. So first off is their left tackle, number 76, a junior, Caleb Rogers. This is his third year playing. And unfortunately, before I say anything else, the poor guy who got dragged into the end zone by Felix last year graduated. A moment of silence. That's a shame. It could what have happened shame. to anybody. <laughs> I was going to ask if this was the guy because his, uh, his grades aren't great because I couldn't no. remember. No, 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 no. He He graduated last year. But he had a 48.2 PFF grade, 55.3 in pass blocking, 45.1 in run block. He still – Caleb Rogers was their starting left tackle last year. He It was the right tackle that Felix decimated and sent to the next life. He's still not good at defending himself from the push-pull. It, it's the same thing as last year. He hasn't learned. <laughs> like If you hit him with a push-pull move, he's going to fall on his face. Like you – he hasn't gotten better at it. And he's still not good at defending his outside outside shoulder when he's getting pass rushed. And if if there's any degree of like slot pressure, like if Felix, not Felix, if Khalid Duke is coming off the edge from his island position in that in the hybrid front, yeah, plays over. Go home. Plays <laughs> over. It's not happening. And lateral quickness is just is just not his strong suit. Really, I think he would be. I honestly do think he'd be much better at guard. And I know I sound like every single NFL draft analyst in history, but I really do think that he would be better at guard, but I'm not here to offer advice for Texas tech. <laughs> I, in terms of what he's good at, he's, he's okay at getting in the way. That, that's like the least that you should <laughs> that's like the bare minimum i feel like is like being a warm body that can at least stand like yeah he can he can get in your way in the running game that's uh he's big he is relatively strong that's good good for you caleb that's yeah I, but yeah their the left guard is weston Wright, number 70 he's a four-year starter and a senior 53.1 PFF grade, 54.1 pass block, 52.1 run blocking. If you hit him with a swim or an arm over move, he's he's done. He can't he can't deal with it. And he has he just has some reps where he doesn't get anyone right in his face in pass protection. And when this happens, he's not exactly great at providing help to the other linemen around him. He kind of has moments where he kind of he just looks around like, okay, what do I do now? I didn't get anyone in my gap in this pass protection rep. Like, what am I supposed to do? And I think that's part of their strategy and why they force everyone inside. It's because they want to take advantage of the fact that their guards are admittedly very big. But he also has a little bit of a holding problem. The one time that I saw him not get beat by an arm over move, it's because his face was in big player's armpit and he had them in a sleeper hold. And that was up against Texas. It, uh... Again, the best thing that I can say about him is his lateral movement is fine. He's big, he's strong, and he can get in your way. If it sounds like I'm being very harsh against this offensive line, it's because it's it's probably the worst offensive line we've seen all year. It's definitely the worst non-FCS line we've seen all year. Shocker. Honestly. But then, I, that, that sarcasm, deep sarcasm, yeah, yeah. if you couldn't tell. I mean, they they weren't even they weren't good last year. 
and it seems improved. like things have not improved. Yeah. They have not improved. And then I'll finally cover the center, and then Connor has you for the right side of the line. The starting center is Dennis Wilburn, number 56, 46.5 PFF grade, 44.4 pass block, 51.4 run block. He's not the best athlete. He's not a good lateral mover. And if asked to pull, which has happened, I believe, once or twice that I've seen, it's not going to end very well for him. And he's probably the weakest of all of the interior linemen. Because I saw him get blitzed against NC State by, I believe it was the middle linebacker. And he was getting pushed back, which granted, you know, blitzing middle linebacker, you kind of, you'd want to, you're going to take a step or two back just because of how Newton's laws work. But he was kind of, he was kind of getting worked that rep and he's not great at keeping his eyes up. He'll miss a couple blitzers when they're open. And there are times that he just kind of seems like he's going along with the play. <laughs> I mean, he's just like him and Weston, Wright Both have the problem of like, all right, well, I don't have an assignment right now. Sick. I can just stand here. <laughs> now, Ace, is there anything about what, about a Dennis Wilburn you'd say, is good. He doesn't have Happy. trouble with snaps. Yeah, that's um, that's solid. I was gonna say because these grades are rough. Uh, forty six point five. That's one of the worst that we've seen all year. Uh, thus far, it might be the worst. Um, yeah, not not a lot of great notes there. The right side is a little better uh, than the left side. It, it actually it's notably better. I'm looking yeah, back it is at the substantially grades. better, <laughs> which is weird because normally the left side is kind of the one that you want to be good uh, to protect the QB's blind side. But more power to Joey McGuire. So uh, right guard they have Landon Peterson, number seventy-two. Uh, he is a junior. He's got a fifty-four point nine PFF grade, fifty-nine point one pass blocking grade, and a fifty-one point seven run blocking grade. He does not have uh uh incredible drive um he wants to get in the way um uh, but that's an issue with a lot of these offensive linemen that kind of keeps coming up they they enjoy getting in the way as opposed to really uh driving the guy that they're facing uh not an incredible pass blocker he has an issue with standing up a little too fast um doesn't really keep his eyes up whenever the blitz is coming either so he'll miss it a little bit um, and also you see, uh, you see him cheating a little bit when he's, uh, going to pull way you can catch it is watch his helmet relative to the other guard. If he's a couple inches back, he is pulling opposite side. Uh, good catch ace. Uh, and then Monroe mills, number 71 at right tackle, um, transfer from Oklahoma state. Actually, he's a redshirt sophomore, 58.6 PFF grade, a 69 uh, pass block grade. It's the best grade we've seen on the offensive line. It's the nicest uh, so grade far. It's the nicest well. grade too. Very nice grade. Uh, 54.5 run block grade. Um, not the greatest puller. Um, he'll take the inside guy, even when that guy's not a threat to the play. Although at this point, you have to wonder how much of that is just schematic. Yeah. Um, uh, he also has a weird tendency where he keeps his hands uh, really close together, almost like he's handcuffed, and he thoroughly enjoys grabbing. He loves to grab defensive linemen and whoever may be uh, in the vicinity. He's very, very grabby. Every uh, line has one. Yeah, everybody's got one. Monroe, Monroe, Monroe Mills, 
you are the guy, unfortunately. But he grades out the best among this. Ace, do you have an opinion on uh, who you think is the best lineman in this group? Monroe Mills. Yeah, that, yeah, that does track. I didn't. I didn't even really have to think about that one because Monroe Mills, for for all of his flaws and a couple of like weird technical things, like him playing handcuffed, which is, I don't know who taught him that, but it, outside of that, he's probably the best run blocker, definitely the best pass blocker. Because although he has technical hiccups, he's he he, damn it, he tries. <laughs> he's. Not bad. He's a below average Big 12 tackle, which, considering the rest of this unit. Yeah, that, that's a night and day difference to what we're used to with uh, K State's offensive line. Uh, it feels like where, you know, their best player is a guy that's still below average in the uh, conference wide landscape. It's going to be really difficult to uh, win consistently uh, in this league without a, um, at least an average offensive line. So, yeah, and it's it, it's not average, <laughs> but moving on to the defensive side of the ball. The first thing to note is just talking their defense. Generally, the f- entire point of this defense is one thing and one thing only, and it is speed. They play fast, they play hard, and they don't really care that much about everything else. Objective number one at all times is to get every single player that they can at full momentum, full speed, no matter what the cost. This could be seen in every linebacker immediately biting down on play action if they see it. Every edge player immediately going just absolutely hair on fire mode to try and get around the edge. The defensive backs running forward, whether it be in a you know cover three buzz if it's a safety or just absolutely bum-rushing it back if they're an outside corner looking to backwards into a zone. The the biggest thing that they want to do is they want to play extraordinarily fast, and they do that very well. We'll get into it in personnel, or rather, Connor, we'll get into it a little bit in personnel, What why this defense is the way it is, and that's all I can say right now. But they want to confuse you as much as possible by throwing about 87 different looks at you, and it... They they don't care if they have weird personnel for doing it. They will switch up defensive fronts in the middle of a drive. Like if you try to get them in a bad defensive look, that's fine. They'll just take their linebacker and move him to play like a five tech. Don't ask me why they do it. They just do it. And this kind of speaks to their blitz numbers as well. They blitz 39.85% of the time, which is the highest percentage that we've seen. And we have played a Brent Venables defense. <laughs> yeah. that, that is telling. And then finally, they're v- capable of running a lot of interior D-line stunts. They don't really do it with the outside guys too much. They mostly keep it to the interior. And it's mostly nose over stunts, which fun fact, don't laugh. My high school, we literally just called it nut. I'm not laughing. I'm not laughing either. I want to, but I won't. (laughs) Oh, But yeah, by virtue of their stunts, they can lose quarterback contain pretty easily. So given how poor the contain was against Oklahoma, and I didn't think that was a particularly bad trade of theirs. Yeah, 9 a.m. may be scrambling a lot. Not because he has to, but because it's easier. But Connor, you have the personnel and... I may have to chime in because 
<laughs> yeah, the like Ace has alluded to, this is a very odd defense. Uh, they want everybody to be a hybrid player uh, on this team. It's it's really odd, and honestly, it kind of tracks when you look at them. Like it, it's it's a lot less of a stark difference looking from player to player. It's not like I don't know Uso compared to Jacob Parrish, like. <laughs> Like, like, like it, it's it's much more like gradient uh from position to position really uh but the theory that the point is they want to be able to send pressure from anywhere and they do love sending pressure so it would make sense for that decision to be pressure based um and they like to play with a lot of different fronts and they will switch it up um quite often but a lot of what they do um they kind of base it around three three five. Uh, but they um, they have a different idea for everything. Uh, they've had a bare front with only two down linemen, a true stack front, uh, the tight front that we're more used to seeing, and then a mug slash double A gap look uh, all over the place is his defense and somehow still still nowhere at the same time. Uh, it, it really is remarkable how they managed to do that. Um uh, then the coverages, they play a lot of single high shells. Um, if you want to get technical, you could call it one and a half high. Uh, the strong side safety is cheating down a lot, and field side is uh, getting a lot more depth in that regard. Uh, they do mix in some too high, and sometimes they'll run a little uh, no high. Uh, they, lo- they, they play a lot of zone coverage, a lot of cover three buzz. Um, they'll play man but they definitely are a zone preference uh, team. Yeah. It, God, this team, their, their defense is just so weird. It's And it's not even weird in the, like, the, oh, that's an interesting wrinkle. And it's weird in the, like, I have no idea what position you play. Because I'm not joking. I'm not joking when I said I looked on three different websites to have, like, what position everyone played. All three websites had them listed differently. And that's not a joke. ESPN had people listed at linebackers. PFF had them listed at edge. Their own their own website had them listed as either. I didn't understand. It scared me. Because I'm used to like terminology at least being the same between, you know, every, I didn't like it. Anyway, <laughs> let's... <laughs> Let's talk about their interior defensive line, led by three names mostly. Number 95, Jalen Hutchings. Number 97, Tony Bradford Jr. And number 96, Philip Liddy. Starting off with Jalen Hutchings, he has 16 tackles on the year, a 79.9 PFF grade, 66.5 run defense, 65.6 tackling, 79.2 in the rushing and pass rush. Excuse me. He's strong enough to reverse his leverage and play well in the zone running game which is actually very rare for a true like defensive tackle. And that's kind of what he is. He's the true defensive tackle. He p- more plays in that, you know, nose tackle to, to two range. He's, he's what you would consider to be the more traditional, you know, interior defensive lineman. And he has a really, really good swim move that he can use. If you do give him half your body, if you do just give him, if you present your full chest to him, He's not a true pocket pushing nose, but he can he can make it seem like he is. He can make people uncomfortable because he will force you a step or two back. He's a good interior lineman. 
And there's a lot of really good pieces on this defense. Spoiler alert. But next up is 97, Tony Bradford. He had an 82.6 PFF grade, 82.4 run defense, 76.9 tackling, 72.7 in the rushing game. His first instinct is always to flow with the direction of the play, which honestly makes him pretty easy to manipulate if you're using any form of counter, if you're using any form of boot. He's not going to be able to work against the boot. He will flow with the play. And that's that's just how he's taught. He plays it well. And if he is flowing with the play and you're not running any sort of counter, no, he's legitimately probably their best defensive lineman. He's freakishly good when he's not put in any sort of conflict, when he's just asked to, hey, go forward, wreck the play. That's that's his game. And then finally, Philip Blitty, 11 tackles, two sacks on the air, 77.9 PFF grade, 75.7 run defense, 78.3 tackling, and a flat 70 in the pass rush. If the play is away from him, he just kind of stands up. He knows that he doesn't really need to do anything because he knows he's not catching that quarterback. (laughs) He knows he's not going to catch anybody. He knows he's a lineman. And he can kind of get himself washed out of the play if you get to one side of him. And if you're just hitting him head up, no, he's stonewalling you. But you really need to attack one side of him, and he loses pretty much all of those reps. But if you do end up going head on, no, he's beating you. And he tries to play with his arms to get punch and separation. He almost plays like a defensive end, which kind of makes sense because he plays, you know, three, like five tech, you know, somewhere in there. He's more like a four, three defensive end or like, you know, a three, three end. He, like you said, he just plays like a defensive end. And if you have longer arms than him, though, I don't have measurements on his arms. I'm not going to do pixel measurements because I have a life and three exams this week. So this is not a winning strategy if you have it for him, if you have longer arms than him. But Connor, you have the edge players. Yeah. So there's two of them. The first one is Tyree Wilson, number 19. He's got 27 tackles and three sacks thus far. A 77 PFF grade, 75.2 run defense, 68.3 tackling and 72.5 rushing. Uh, he's rated as a top five uh, edge edge rusher in this upcoming draft by some draft sources. He plays very, very fast. You cannot leave him unblocked, even if he is running the opposite way, because he's fast enough to run you down from the opposing side. Um, what makes him uh, or what makes uh, that even more impressive is that he isn't always the first person off the ball. He is really just fast and athletic enough to where he can completely make up for uh, maybe not having that initial uh, immediate burst or snap jump going. Um, And then he definitely plays better as a guy standing up on the edge as opposed to somebody uh, playing hand in dirt. That's just not really his game. Uh, I mean, he's a modern, more modern edge rusher. Um, Then uh, the other one is Josiah Pierce. Uh, number eight, uh, he's got five tackles thus far, or Josiah Pierre, I should say, uh, five tackles and 60.7 PFF grade, a 64.5 run defense grade, a 29.8 tackling grade, and then a 63.1 rushing grade. Uh, then his first instinct is almost always to go around as opposed to through, which does make him a pretty good force player in the run game. Uh, just by setting the edge kind of by default from his play style. Um, however, it does not change direction really great. 
Um, so he's not really going to counter what you see is what you get when he starts that play pretty much. Um, he does get snaps occasionally, um, as a more traditional linebacker. Um, but we're going to pretend he doesn't and he better hope he doesn't in the game. Uh, cause it was a, a less than stellar outing, uh, for our new friend Josiah Pierre. So, yeah. And, and on Tyree Wilson, I, Part of me sees it with why he'd be considered a top five edge guy just because of how freaky and twitchy an athlete he is. But it, I every time I've seen him, he's been probably number five on those lists. And honestly, it kind of seems like him and Felix kind of fight for that like number four, number five spot, which is strange that two. It's so strange to me that they play entirely different positions, but they're still rated the same way. It's interesting to me. Yeah, it's an odd way of the development of the position. Although Felix, he did just uh, get mocked fifth overall mm-hmm. uh, in a, a mock draft. Don't think it's happening, but... I would take it. I'd allow it. I, I would, would certainly allow that. I absolutely allow it. But next up are their two linebackers, number six, Kosi Eldridge, and number one, Krishan Merriweather. Starting off with Kosi Eldridge, he has 18 tackles, 18 sacks, good Lord, one sack (laughs) on the year, 58.6 PFF grade, 61.9 run defense, 77.9 tackling, 65.9 rushing, and then a 53.5 coverage grade. They've asked him to play in space before, especially against more flex tight ends. Uh, they should consider not doing that at all, actually, because he doesn't have the skill set to play in open space. He just doesn't have that that lateral agility. He doesn't have that speed to really play as as that outside like hybrid linebacker, kind of where we have Khalid Duke playing. And if if you have questions about Khalid Duke in that position, which I believe there are times that you can be critical. Other times, yeah, he's fine. Uh, If you're critical at all of Khalid Duke, you should be staring at this guy and realizing how much worse it could get in space. But with that being said, he fills his gap pretty well, but don't expect him to really cover anything else outside of the running game. His athletic limitations are more than made up for by his ability to... He's a great tackler. He, if he if you make contact with him, you're not getting away from him. You he may fall down, you may bowl over him, but he's gonna make sure that you go down with him. He he's very good at wrapping up. He's a very solid tackler. And he never takes a single minute to diagnose a play, just like the entire defense is built on. He's full go, full tilt from the exact moment the ball is snapped. Now we can talk about number one, Krishan Merriweather, who people seem to have the consensus being the better of the two, which, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Next up, firstly is his stats, 27 tackles, point half sack, and then two forced fumbles, a 77.6 PFF grade, 83.3 run defense, 82 tackling, 66.4 rush, 66.1 in coverage. The biggest thing is that he takes the cheese really, really bad against play action and then kind of has to play from behind from there. That being said, when he when he doesn't do that, it's just a pure drop back. He's really good at keeping things in front of him. He's not going to get any pass breakups in zone coverage, but he's going to keep the play in front of him and make sure that it doesn't turn into anything more. And he's also a pretty good tackler, mostly because he has insane grip strength. Because he, it, unlike Kosi, where even if you bowl over him, you're still falling down. 
Krishan just grabs you and he's not letting go. It doesn't matter if you drag him, you're going to fall. Like he will, he'll hang on. He will hang on for dear life. <laughs> but yeah, Krishan Merriweather is probably the better of the two. If they ask him to play in space, I wouldn't be as uncomfortable with it if I was the defensive coordinator. But yeah, those are their two linebackers. Now, Connor has you for cornerbacks as well as their free safety. Yeah, so in the secondary, the defense does get a bit more shaky. Uh, uh, Rashad Williams uh, oh. is the first corner listed here. He's number zero. Uh, he's got 11 tackles and two passes defended on the year. Uh, 52 PFF grade, 53.9 tackle grade, and a 51.9 coverage grade. Um if somebody is on the way to block him, he's going to try and get around them. Uh, anytime that he does a press stab, he doesn't really get that great of a punch to really actually do anything. Uh, it, he just kind of does it for the aesthetics, I suppose. Uh, nothing really changes for the receiver. Um, he's a he's a solid corner when he's in phase, uh, and as and he's decent as a true bailing corner although he can be beat on the outside. Um, his biggest weakness is that he uh, lets receivers into his blind spot way too easy. Um, it, he he can definitely get beaten. Uh, this, this is not an invincible quarter whatsoever, not by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but moving on to the other cornerback, Malik Dunlap. He's got 10 tackles and six passes defended uh, thus far, uh, which is really good. Uh, 65.8 PFF grade, 51.9 tackle grade, and a 63.6 coverage grade. Every time I see COV grade, I keep thinking COVID grade. Not which, the COVID like, grade. I almost say COVID grade. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, the way that he's gotten those six passes defended, because he um, is pretty clever in how he positions himself. He's in the hip pocket of the receiver for most of the time, but he's far enough behind that the quarterback is kind of tricked into thinking that they're open. Um. But not. And then uh, also he's got really good recovery speed. Um, and then uh, he does have a tendency to get there a little bit early, which I suppose is sometimes preferable to being late. But yeah. it, it, it is what it is there. Um, and then moving on to uh, safeties, um, I'll take Reggie Pearson Jr., number two. Um, he's got a 66.5 PFF grade, a 54.2 run defense, 58.4 tackling, and then a much better coverage grade at 73.1. Go figure. He is a free, he is a free safety of all time. Uh, he, at least in that skill set, he's, he's the free safety of the group. Um, he overruns a lot when he's in run support. Um, he doesn't really take the greatest pursuit angles. Um, not a huge hitter or anything like that. He definitely is good at coverage, though, as is indicated uh, by his grading. I know that we're a little bit up and down on PFF right now, but he really yeah. is like pretty solid at it. Um, he he knows how to start his leverage based on the QB's eyes when he's playing in a deep zone, um, which he did play in the box a lot against Texas, so kind of runs counter to that, I suppose, but uh, nevertheless, he, he makes it work. Yeah, in a I actually just came up with a comp for Malik Dunlap and it kind of just smacked me in the face right now. It's Justin Gardner. He's literally just Justin Gardner. That really tracks, honestly, just like recovery corner. 
that just like is able to get there the last possible second, make a great pass breakup. Yeah, that that does really track, especially with his uh, with his uh, statistics, because Justin Gardner was that guy where, you know, he was constantly getting burned. It would just uh, fix his mistake at the last possible second. Yeah. So moving on to the other two safeties, the first one is their strong safety, Dadrian Daylor's Demerson, number 25. He has 17 tackles on the year, a passes defense, and a forced fumble. He has a 70.8 PFF grade, 66, uh, 76.2 run defense, 76.2 tackling, and then 68.3 in coverage. And he's the strong safety. He's very, very, very instinctual against the run and probably their best run defender. No, not their best run defending defensive back, their best run defender in general. Just because he takes really, really like shockingly good pursuit routes for when whenever you're telling a defense to inherently just play fast, play free, the number one thing that you're probably going to end up doing is with a lot of overruns. You're going to have a lot of big hits and you're going to have a lot of missed tackles. That's kind of the problem he had last year whenever we started going into the the more play fast of the defense phase. Yeah, we we started playing a lot faster, which made our defense better, but we also had a little bit of a hit in tackling until we figured it out. But Demerson doesn't have that problem. He's willing to roll up. He's willing to have those good pursuit angles, and he doesn't sacrifice any hit power for it. In terms of his coverage, he's okay. I don't like him as the true free safety, which kind of makes their coverage roles that they do where – they do this thing where they roll the field side safety up and that and you can get them in a lot of bad positions if you do that and you just have the the sideline the field side is where the majority of the field is so like say you're on the right hash the field side's the left of the offensive formation so if you get them in a situation where the passing strength is to the sideline side and get Demerson in that middle field zone you can probably take advantage of him. But in terms of a middle like middle zone guy, like a hook zone guy, he's fine. And then finally, their star player, and I do mean that in terms of the position, it's star, jack, cash, cowboy, whatever you want to call him. Everyone calls him something different. It's a number nine, Marquise Waters. He has 17 tackles on the year, a 71.7 PFF grade, 90.1 in run defense, 72.1 tackling, 62.3 in coverage. As stated before, he's the hybrid defender in this defense, and he does literally everything, but the most notable thing is the blitz packages. A big part of the scheme is trying to get him open to free rushes so he can at least get pressure, if not a lot of sacks. Uh, But if he does meet no offensive lineman, he's not winning. It's not happening. It's just not in his skill set. Kind of think of him like Tyron Matthew, where you can send him on a blitz and his number one goal is to just find the open gap. He's not as good as Tyron Matthew because I'm not sure many people are, but he can get a bit lost when he's put into conflict in zone coverage, though. For example, if there's a flood concept going his direction, he can kind of get cross-eyed and leave both options open, which it's not ideal if you're a defender. He also tends to give up the inside leverage when he's in man coverage, which makes him really susceptible to slant routes. And that is the scouting report. So now we can go into stories to watch going into the game. First question, does Klein use more of the misdirection and outside running game to abuse a defense that's number one goal is to play fast? Um, I'll say to a certain degree. Um, I think that 
something you brought up earlier, something to keep an eye on where um, it's um, maybe some like designed Adrian uh, rollouts or a designed Adrian drawback and then go uh, to some QB draw out of the shotgun. Um, but I, I do think that we'll do that to a certain degree. Um, I'm not sure how much we'll do it. Um, it wouldn't shock me though, because um, we did we did really want to set up that outside run against OU. I think the outsetting up the outside run is something Colin Klein really wants to do in every single game. Uh, so I I do think there's a good shot that we could see it. Misdirection, I'd like to see, um, but again, it, it remains to be seen. Um, yeah, I, uh, do you want me to ask the next one? Uh, I was going to talk a little bit about the climb, but yeah, you can ask the next one after this, but after this, but the, after these messages, uh, <laughs> uh, that's an old one. How do I know that? But, <laughs> but yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily say I expect a whole lot of misdirection. I do expect a heavy dose of the outside running game. The number one thing that I expect Klein to take advantage of is kind of what I pointed out. And I expect him to kind of do what most people would think is counterintuitive. And that's set the, the passing strength of the formation to the sideline side, but still just run a lot of in breakers. So that way that strong safeties, the middle field cover guy, and that's not the situation that they really want to be in. You're muted. I was. I, I knew Shame. I was going to do that at some point. Shame. Well, you made it a good like 90 of these episodes without doing it. So That is true. That is true. I I made it so far. But um, next uh, story to watch. Can K-State avoid giving up too much free yardage uh, against an offense that is actively looking for it? No, because they're not going to care about it. Honestly, I don't think that this... I think that this is a defense that's willing to let Texas Tech get into like it's just going to be the bend don't break defense but i do think that they'll kind of lull them into a false sense of security with it and then one or two plays become hyper aggressive and then just immediately try to jump anything that would be going short and i expect that to kind of be the game plan to where lull them into a false sense of security then immediately try to bum rush one that you know is going short yeah i i totally agree with that um, Klanderman's going to look for different ways to be aggressive without uh, giving up the back end in this game. Uh, and I, I do think we're going to take the opportunity to be really aggressive, but very situationally. Um, nothing like tech where they're blitzing like 40% of the time. But I don't know. I'm interested to see what Klanderman ultimately decides on this game. Yeah. Next question, can Kansas State's defensive line dominate in the trenches against probably the weakest FBS line we've seen? I really hope so. There's no reason that they shouldn't unless health becomes an issue, I'd say. Uh, Knock on wood. But, I mean, Nate Malik did try to give it a go against OU. um, Wasn't able to pull through really and play much. So hopefully a week of rest will do him good. Uh, I'd like to see Felix uh, go off in this game. Uh, Huggins should have a good game. I think we'll see some Uso in this game as well, along with Robert Hentz. Uh, maybe see a few other guys. Um, Khalid Duke, I'm really hoping, can have a nice game. 
Uh, I know he's not defensive line anymore, but I, I'm hoping that you can you can still have a nice game, maybe rushing the passer, because this is not a great offensive line based off of all of the available evidence. So, yeah, I'm going to be honest. I would walk away disappointed if we got fewer than three sacks and five TFLs. I would walk away genuinely disappointed. As you should. I mean, I think that's a totally reasonable expectation uh, for this game. But um, moving on to the next uh, story to watch, uh, does K-State's offensive line keep from getting confused uh, with the multiple looks? I think that they'll find one look that just by virtue of how many they throw at you, I think that they'll find one look that they they'll say okay they haven't seen this look before if i did if i had to venture a guess it would probably be i don't know what look would they probably go for that we haven't seen before i would almost expect a lot of that mug look because we haven't seen that much this year at least to my memory which is that double a gap or double b gap depending on who you're talking to but i think they'll find one look in particular try it once or twice It'll work once and it'll work really well one time. And then Connor Riley will almost have to kill someone on the sidelines. And then that work, that look will never work again. So I think they get us once. I don't think they get us a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's probably a fair assessment there. Uh, switching up the looks um, in theory, uh, doing something different. Uh, will work uh, maybe once or twice against this offensive line unit. But Connor Riley is a really, really great coach. So I, I'd imagine that we adjust pretty quickly there. So, yeah. Same question goes for the quarterback. Can Adrian Martinez keep from getting confused by the multiple looks? I would I would tend to think so uh, because Brent Venables um, at Oklahoma is known for kind of switching up defenses a lot. Um, and so he does obviously not as much as his Texas tech team. I mean, it's totally different, but OU does is supposed to be a defensively minded team. And Adrian Martinez handled that really well. Um, I would expect Adrian Martinez to continue to play at a high level, um, at least in the pocket awareness, uh, area because his pocket awareness against OU was phenomenal. Um, he knew exactly when to leave and exactly where to leave. Uh, it was some of the, best pocket awareness I've ever seen from a K-State QB. Uh, so I, I'm i simply going to choose to expect that to continue because it's better for my sanity. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's what I'll say with that. Um, but then moving on to the next story, uh, can Adrian Martinez have a repeat performance or at least a comparable one, which I suppose kind of gets into what we were talking about, to at least what I was saying to a certain degree. So you could touch on that and the previous question. Yeah, I I can't expect a repeat performance. I can't expect like a national quarterback of the week performance again because I feel like that's an unfair expectation. That said, I think that he makes a case for himself just by virtue of how experienced he is. I don't think... I really think that Adrian Martinez isn't going to struggle with the multiple looks that he's going to get. And just because of how long he's been around and not because, you know, he could have been around as long as he wants. If he's going up against the same four two five every single week, that that doesn't really help him. 
you have to keep in mind that, God help me, he was playing up against Big Ten defenses. Defenses that are known for being multiple. Defenses that are known for trying to throw 80 different looks at you at once and try to get you to make mistakes, try to get you confused. That was pretty much how... That was pretty much how you beat most Big Ten quarterbacks. Look at Spencer Petras and all of his Big 12 comments and how much of a clown he is. Moron. But he, <laughs> but I don't expect him to have a repeat performance. I do expect him to throw for about 200 yards, maybe rush for another 50. And I think, honestly, that's probably all he has to do in this game. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. Uh, especially on it not really being fair to expect him to be national quarterback of the week two weeks in a row. I mean, that, that, that that's just an unrealistic expectation to hold him to. But honestly, it wouldn't be shocking to see him really uh, dice up this defense to a certain degree, uh, especially the secondary. This should be a unit that if Adrian was able to be successful as he was against OU, in theory, there's no reason he shouldn't be as successful against this Texas Tech team. Um, again, a lot of that requires him being as in the zone against Texas Tech as he was against a ranked, uh, a top 10 ranked, almost top five ranked OU squad on the road uh, with the desire to prove yourself after a difficult week. So there aren't as many things lining up for it to be like another magical performance, but on paper, at least uh, in a vacuum. Uh this should be the sort of game where he does have another really great performance. Uh, But again, probably not going to be another five touchdown borderline 400 yards of total offense sort of night or morning, I suppose for Adrian. I would Uh, take it. I mean, yeah, I'll allow it. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think it's going to happen. That's not my expectation going into this game. Yeah. Then the final question is, which team seizes the momentum right off the bat and which team rides that momentum to the victory? I'm going to go out on a limb here and honestly say neither team gets the momentum right off the bat. I feel like both teams have a bit of a hangover, like first couple drives, um, maybe three, zero seven, three, the best after a few drives. I do think K-State ultimately is going to win this game. Spoiler alert, but (laughs) Um, I, I do think that the momentum, I, I think riding the momentum of last week's victory for both of these teams is both these teams is a really interesting storyline because I do think that it ultimately bites both teams to begin with where there's like a bit of a letdown to begin with. And I, I it's ultimately be who responds, uh, first, I think, uh, to, to that, who can get motivated quicker. Um, I will say if a team does keep the momentum, I think K-State's a likely candidate here. I'm not just saying that because I'm a K-State fan. I kind of am, but uh, I, I do think that the home field advantage here, um, and also I would say having the tougher win, uh, not to take away from Texas Tech's win at all, but just having it on the road uh, changes a lot. And then also I think most people would agree this OU team is uh, probably better than this Texas team, although we will soon find out if that's true or not. Yeah. Um. So I'm I'm rolling with neither for my official answer. See, I'm actually going to go with the exact opposite, and I kind of think I think that this is a game that both sides come out swinging. 
I think that this is a game where you see two touchdowns from each in that first quarter. And then it really slows down in the second, comes back out after a couple of adjustments in the third. And then honestly, I can see a world where the scoring is done in the third quarter. I can see a world like that. But that's that's just projection. And speaking of projection, we can talk about our projected offensive and defensive MVPs. Now, Connor, who is your offensive MVP going to be? Uh, I'm rolling with Deuce uh, for this one. We really didn't talk about him much uh, in this uh, scouting report, I feel like. Um, but I do think that he could have a really great day. I'd like to see him get utilized more in the passing game. I think this is a good opportunity uh, to do that because uh, tech secondary and linebackers are not the greatest in space. Um, their their secondary is already not great uh, in the coverage department, which is ironic. Um, but uh, so I'm rolling with Deuce, although, I mean, I think there's going to be a pretty popular pick. So I'm going to go with 9 a.m. Just because I don't think that there's really much that you could throw at him that's going to confuse him. And if he at least keeps the same mentality, not the same performance, but the same mentality he had against OU, he's going to have another good game. I would ask you what our defensive MVP is going to be, but it matches and it's Felix. Yeah. some Someone's going to die. Felix is going to kill someone. Yeah. They're, I, I think they're going to line up Felix on the uh, the left tackle, uh, Caleb. Uh, what's his name? Rogers. Caleb Rogers. Um, and I really, I'm really hoping Felix has a multi sack day. I'm crossing my fingers for a multi sack day for Felix because I mean, yeah, he's going to get double teamed a lot of the game. I'd really like us to work in, um, uh, um, some creative stuff to get Felix to the QB, honestly, like uh, maybe some twists and uh, maybe some pressure off of the same edge uh, to get Felix home uh, just to overload that double team side. Although I understand why we are, because it's kind of freeing up the other side a little bit more. Um, but I don't know. I, this feels like the sort of game where Felix is going to have a really big day. Yep. Everything you said, I agree with. But now it's time for score projections. I'm going to rock with 31-21 in favor of the Cats. And I think, like I said, I can see a world where all scoring is done by the third. But I think that this is going to be another sweaty one where, kind of like the West Virginia game last year, we pull away during the fourth quarter. And it's going to be uncomfortable because this Texas Tech school is not bad. This team is not bad. They have a few weaknesses, but they are not a bad team. Yeah, I'm rolling with uh, 38 20 uh, for the cats, um, mainly because I think the defensive front has a field day uh, and the secondary holds their own. Um, and I think the offense uh, continues to perform at a high level. Uh, so 38 20. Yep. You have any final notes on it, Carter? Um, other than I really wish this game wasn't at 11. Or on ESPN Plus. Or on ESPN Plus. I mean, what a blunder, honestly, like to put this game. I get that you can't see the future there, but you know, it's it's a little frustrating that they're putting that on ESPN Plus after KCW was one of the most viewed games this past weekend. They drew in 3.6 million. And then that's also with college football kind of being a difficult uh um sport to rate 
in television because there's so many games on primetime on different networks as opposed to, you know, NFL where there's just one game happening at one time yeah. uh, for primetime. Uh, also, uh, game's going to sell out probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and based on the tweet uh, from KSA Athletics today, it's looking like every home game is going to be a sellout this year. Because uh, as of 2.30-ish today, the day of recording, so yesterday for those listening on release day, uh, fewer than 750 for Texas Tech. I'd imagine that's even lower now. Fewer than 600 for Oklahoma State. Fewer than 1,500 for Texas. And then fewer than 100 total for the KU game. So you have at least three guaranteed sellouts there. And I imagine Texas sells out as well. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's Texas. It's probably the last time we have them um at home so maybe the last time we had them at all is that's entirely possible honestly i i think we probably see them next year but you never know you really don't um so on a shout out to the athletic department i guess uh for moving tickets and uh getting some sellouts um i don't know i'm i'm excited i was i was a little skeptical this game would sell out just because it's an 11 a.m. game, I didn't know people would turn around quick enough to get the tickets after the OU game. I was definitely worried after the Tulane game, but it's nice to see uh, uh, a lot of these games are uh, getting uh, high ticket sales. That and also it'll finally be good weather for a game. It looks like knock on wood, it's supposed to be 78 and sunny, uh, which sounds like an absolute dream. So, because yeah, the Tulane game was miserably hot, the Mizzou game was cold and rainy. Yeah, South Dakota, South Dakota was, was fine, actually it was night. Yeah, South Dakota was fine, but yeah, well, it was at nighttime, so that that did change things a little bit. Um, and it was pretty, it was fairly warm uh, before the sun went down, as I recall. But yeah, should be a a really really great day for football again. Knock on wood. Um, and then, yeah, also great week for accolades for the uh, football team. I'm sure we'll touch on this a little bit in the recap. But Kobe Savage gets newcomer of the week. Adrian Martinez gets offensive player of the week. Um, national quarterback of the week. Uh, the team gets all these honors. I just hope that we don't have a letdown this weekend because that all of a sudden will, you know, all, all of those great accolades will go out the window. But I, I've got faith in them. But never a doubt in our minds. Yeah. But yeah, that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, we are at Aggieville A Cats on Twitter. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C and Cats. If you want to if you want to email us, we're Aggieville Alley Cats at gmail.com. That's if you want to follow us on a more personal note, I'm at AC Edward00. I'm at Connor Bowser, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alleycats merch store where you can find such designs as Play Sandstorm Cowards, the staff-approved Doom Tank Clan, and then Neon Alleycats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alleycats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alleycats.